from the Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce, this is In Conversation With, supported by Westcott's Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors, presented by Stuart Alford and produced by Fresh Air Studios Plymouth. Hello there, I'm Stuart Elford, Chief Executive of Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce with another edition of our In Conversation With podcast. And I am really, I can genuinely say I'm really excited about today's interview because I'm joined by not one but two fabulous guests, Edmund Davari and Asmi Stanley. Hi. Hello and welcome. So you've both got fascinating stories to tell. Both of you have left your birth countries behind to come to the UK and seek a better life, or at least I hope a better life. And you've got very different lifestyles. So Edmund, a restaurateur, as me a financial advisor so I don't know really where to start perhaps with you Edmund sorry you first Go ahead. you left Iran which was then Persia is that right in 1976 to go to Oxford Brooks that's right yeah I was born in a Christian family so my parents could see the Islamic revolution arriving in Iran right which it did arrive a couple of years later yeah so they sent me to UK to get Christian education and Christian values, you know, continued the values that we had in our home because things were going to rapidly change once the Islamic revolution happened. Yeah. And it did. So my first port of call was Oxford. Yeah. I did a few months doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> really? You do when you're 18 years old. And then I went to Oxford Brooks. Yeah. And I did what I thought I wanted to do, which was business management and computer programming. Wow. Which is very different. And that's very time. new back then. It was very new. So that's what I did. So I guess your career didn't go as you planned, really, because you thought business and computing, but you kind of ended up going into restaurants unexpectedly, I guess. Yeah, there's a story behind that. <laughs> like many other students, I had to find a job to subsidize my education. So I was working in a nightclub, just flipping burgers, you know, at night time till two, three in the morning. Another job came up at another nightclub in Oxford, and they were paying five pence per hour more. So Big money. Hippie hooray. <laughs> I went there for interview, just for a kitchen porter job, just washing dishes. And I went there very suitably dressed, or mm. unsuitably dressed, for that position. Because you wore a suit. I went in suit and tie. And I was interviewed for a couple of hours by two gentlemen, literally for two hours. And I got really kind of annoyed because I just want a job to wash dishes. What's all this about? <laughs> And they asked me to go for a second interview next day. So I went back next day, again, suit and tie. There was another gentleman there, a third man. Another interview for two hours. And then, to my surprise and shock, they offered me as general manager of the wow. place. Having gone as a KP? I walked in as, you know, asking for a KP job. And I was offered a general manager job. So I asked for time to think about it. And I went back after two weeks. And I took the job. I would have thought it would be about two seconds. Yes, I love it. <laughs> well, I had to play hard to get. <laughs> and I think they made the right decision because I was with them for nearly six years. So uh, they saw some potential in you, despite yeah. you going for that job. And despite your poor English, didn't you have a bad choice of oh phrase boy. for the top of a beer? What is it on the top of a beer? Not a fluff, but you, a froth. You, you called it fluff. The fluff I, on top of a I beer. I spent, as a general manager of the place, I had to go and work behind a bar sometimes and I used to pour pints of beer and there was always a big top on it and I would apologise for the fluff on top of the glass <laughs> <laughs> and people used to no. laugh and I used to think I'm being funny but I was actually <laughs> I didn't know it was called froth <laughs> so that went on for about nine months until I was corrected by a very caring customer yeah uh. 
Yes, yeah. and nobody wants fluff on their beard, do they? No. And you travelled around the country a bit before you settled in Plymouth. What brought you here? The last position I had before Plymouth was running a hotel. It was an international hotel company. And I stood a job at Theatre Royal Plymouth for uh, catering and front of house manager. And I duly applied and I came for interview. I remember the day I came because I came early and I drove to the hall and I saw the view and I jumped out of my car and I said, God, please, please, please let me have this job. And I did get the job. It was funny because I, uh, they interviewed me. There was a big panel interviewed me and they said there are 42 people to interview. So we'll let you know in eight weeks time. <laughs> and I went away again praying that I would get the job. And next morning I went back to my then job and I had a phone call from Theatre Royal saying, would you like the job? Wow. Because it can start next week. So when I asked about the other 42 people, I was told that, well, you can interview them when they come, but obviously you got the job. Wow. So I spent the following six weeks interviewing people who weren't going to get the job. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I had an incredible time, five years of incredible time at Theatre Royal. Really great time. And you opened the first restaurant in the theatre, didn't you? I opened my first restaurant, Lorenzo's, just next to the theatre. Yeah. And I resigned from my post because I was running the catering there. But it wasn't accepted. So I was running the catering at Theatre Royal and my restaurant with the council's approval and the Theatre Royal management's approval. Soon after that, about six months later, <laughs> I opened another restaurant <laughs> at Barbican Theatre at the time yeah. and I resigned again and I wasn't accepted they, <laughs> they, wouldn't, they, they wanted, wanted you. me there <laughs> they couldn't get rid of you yeah. it was only when I opened the third one that I just couldn't keep up with it no. so I had to resign and I went on opening a few more restaurants but the Theatre Royal was always the most incredible place to be and it still is yeah well maybe one day we'll get you back in there and run I, a fabulous restaurant in there <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where I first met you, actually, was in Lorenzo's. Yep. So a friend of mine was working, I think, for you in the kitchen, and I just met you. I didn't really know you, and I took a girl on a first date. Wow. And we did the thing where you had a cinema ticket and a yep. meal. Yep. And I watched Romeo and Juliet, that'll date it, the Baz Luhrmann <laughs> production. And then I came to the restaurant, and Edmund pulled up in a Lotus Esprit Turbo. <laughs> and, I said, the days. <laughs> and I said, I said, Edmund, nice car. And he said, he was very modest about it. So, oh, well, you know, I know. I've always promised myself one. And then he threw me the keys oh, and wow. said, you take your lady for a drive. I hardly knew the bloke, but I didn't say no. So I took this lady hammering down the A38 at speeds that best not admitted on something that's recorded. And she looked at me and said, this is the best first date I've ever been on. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with me, baby. <laughs> now, as me, you also left your birth country, but with a very different story. And you left with no money in your pocket. Well, 10 pence. Is that right? Five yep. rupees. It was quite challenging because I had an arranged marriage when I was 16. Wow. It's not all sad, but it was challenging in the sense my dad passed away when I was 13. Sorry. My mum with cancer, so she thought she was doing the right thing to give me an arranged marriage. So it's very traditional. So in she our was culture. trying to find someone to look yeah. after yeah. you because she couldn't. Yeah. And because there was no role model or parents that would look after me as a grown-up and I was young growing up girl so she thought she was doing the right thing and I actually think looking back you know she was just protecting me but it didn't work out quite what we planned of what she planned I was in a marriage where it was very much like I had no voice I couldn't express my thoughts my feelings what I could wear what I could do it sounds silly but little things do we take for granted being married to the soulmate 
working mm. where you want to work, having a family. Mm. And it was a very traditional upbringing. So my mum and dad, however, were a love marriage. Mm. So I've always wanted, I guess, that. You wanted a love marriage, but you got an arranged marriage. Yeah. And it degenerated, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It is quite normal. Even now it happens and I don't agree with it, but I was lucky enough to get out, but not quite, I would say, an easy way. It was quite a challenging way because one, being a woman who's young, two, being with no money or financial support or any person to look after you was very much like easy to be exploited, I guess. That's the way it was. But then I was lucky to have my brother who looked after me and said you need to get out of India and then get out to a western world you will be treated as equal or you would be treated with respect and mm. I think I applied for a cruise ship but I didn't even know it was Disney so Mickey Mouse was my <laughs> boss I went with half a paid CV because obviously I left school and so I you didn't have a lot on your CV no so <laughs> and I had my daughter with my ex so she was only three and he wouldn't let me take her or because I was financially not strong I was emotionally not strong so I didn't even know where I was going to stay so I couldn't take someone who was three years old to say I'll support you so I walked out with 10 pence and bag of clothes and I think that was all I had and I thought to myself that day I will come back when I'm financially strong mentally strong and I will show you what I'm capable of well it was quite an abusive <laughs> relationship wasn't it yeah it was very much like Mental abuse to a point that, oh, I was fat, <laughs> I was ugly. I think it's a dominance thing. I think it was very much like, you can do this, you cannot do that. You know, for me, cooking and cleaning, I love doing that now. <laughs> but in those <laughs> days, it was very much like, if you get told, the more you don't want to do it. Mm. And I was very much in that environment where I was cooking, cleaning, being a housewife. Yeah, no freedom, no speech, no nothing. Do you mind me asking about there's something happened between you leaving and joining the cruise ship, wasn't there? Yeah. It is emotionally, I would call it, it would be emotionally quite a position to put yourself through. But I think I left India, well, I left my ex and I trusted a friend of mine where I thought I was trusting her to maybe go and work somewhere or be independent. I didn't see myself anywhere else. And then sadly, I trusted the wrong person and she sold me to a pimp. Yep, that was a shock. Mm -hmm. But you were stronger than that and you got out. I wasn't going to quit. <clears throat> Quitting wasn't an option. Mm. I was going to fight. So I did. You did. Don't don't worry, husband. Sorry. No, don't apologise. You got me going already. <laughs> <clears throat> But I, I did come out of that and I wouldn't be grateful for what I have today if I hadn't faced what I did. I think that's unfortunate. It truly is unfortunate, the experiences I've had. And I'm sure there are lots of women out there who have gone through that, probably never speak about it. I think that's another thing I found is by being where I am now, I want to help and empower other women to say, you know what, you got this, don't yeah. quit. Quitting is not an option because when you stand up with your head held high, doing what you do best, you look back and you think, I'm grateful for my life now. I'm, every day is a blessing. And that's how yeah. I see it. So, yeah, challenges of life, I call it. Yeah, definitely. Sorry. That's right. It was just knock on after knock on. And there's only so much you can take. After a while, you'd think you'd quit. Yeah. I nearly quit. I nearly went 
third floor of the building thinking this is it. But then I thought, why should I let somebody else get the benefit of my weakness and their strength? So mm. I turned that around. And I think the highlight for me is when you fight it, you become more strong. I think your mind is quite a powerful thing. It definitely is. You know, oh, it is, you've clearly got a strong mind. Quitting isn't an option. <clears throat> never is, never will be. And you owe a lot to one particular person, didn't you, who helped you out? Yeah, I obviously got the job. The agency from the travel agent said, you got the job, and I found out it was Mickey Mouse. I was like, whoa, <laughs> I can't believe it. I used to watch their cartoons. <laughs> but then I had no money, so I was like, how am I going to give in this money of 30,000 rupees, which is, I can't even put into dot pounds how much it was. Yeah. And I thought, how am I going to get that? I kind of felt really helpless. And I had my brother's friend who was absolutely like a brother to me. And I went and told him from start to end about the challenges I had faced being in an arranged marriage. He knew about the arranged marriage, but he didn't realise it wasn't working. Mm. Then I'd mentioned to him about my sexual abuse. And I said, I've got a job with Mickey Mouse. And he basically said, that's enough. You don't need to say any more. Opened the drawer without hesitation. Took out 30,000 rupees from his drawer and he gave me that in front of me and he said take a taxi here's the money for taxi because I don't want you traveling in public transport and I said I will pay you back and I my first paycheck in Disney was what custodial job $600 which is exactly around that okay so I said I'll pay you back he said pass it on and (coughs) and I cried with joy emotions I just could not comprehend to express it and I tried several times then since then I working on a cruise ship I earned the money and I went back and he said nope not gonna take it and then eventually he let us take him out for him and his wife me and Paul took him out for a meal and he said that's thank you yeah good well Well. bless him (laughs) do we get to name check him yeah yeah he's called Ashit okay well yeah thank Um, you Ashit and you had a Muslim upbringing yourself didn't you and how did that clash with what was happening with you In Islamic law, from the way we were brought up, women don't normally divorce. Divorce is not experienced much, so it was an arranged marriage in a way where I didn't even actually, till today, I'm 40, I don't know if I should say my age. (laughs) age. I'm 47. God, you don't look it, but you've just made out that I feel very old. (laughs) But I haven't still seen my first marriage certificate, so I didn't exist. I didn't have a bank account. I didn't have any ID, so I had to start from scratch. So to go to divorce somebody, how do you prove you're married? Because it was done in an Islamic way. And again, that's how things are done. So, yeah, it was a challenge. But I met lots of amazing people who kindly supported and helped me get to where I am. But I think you've got to where you are by the sound of it with your drive. And Edmund, you were brought up in a Christian family in Persia. I'm an Armenian. You're Armenian? Yeah, which okay. used to be part of Russia, but I've never been there. <coughs> okay. But my ancestors were sort of Armenian from there. Yeah. yeah. And was being a Christian in that country difficult or just you could see what was coming? Before the revolution was fantastic. It's when the revolution happened and they started prosecuting ethnics like Jewish and Armenians, which was very difficult. Mm. I came here before the revolution. Yeah, it happened two years after you got here, didn't it? Two years, yeah. And then my parents kind of got stuck in there because being Christians, they wouldn't sort of go out and show their faces. You know, they had a quiet life. So their passport was taken, confiscated, and we didn't see each other for 16 years. 
So I finished my university. I got married for the first time, got divorced, got my first job and second job, etc. And it was 16 years later when they actually escaped from Iran through Pakistan and Afghanistan, etc., etc. And I went to Pakistan and kind of got them from there. So, yeah, many, many people have stories like that from those backgrounds. Wow. So did they ever go back to Iran? No, no. Once they were here, they couldn't go back, and I can't go back either. Can you not? No, I can't. I haven't been back for 46 years. And I kind of don't like to go back because the memories I have from there are good memories. My school, my old place that I lived, and it's all gone. It's probably, you know, not there. So it's best to keep it in your mind as it is. Yeah. And have those memories as they are. Happy memories where Happy it's memories. probably Never not, go back. It's not a country that is probably full of happy memories. Well, for it's really interesting speaking to us, man. I really admire you. I mean, you're incredible. Really incredible. Cheers. At the moment, there's an uprising in Iran, and it's done by ladies, by women. Yeah. yeah. And their slogan is woman, life, freedom. Yep. And they are trying to run away from what kind of stuff that you experience. So it's very sort of topical at the moment back home. Hmm. Is that more obvious to you? Does it mean more to you? Does it matter now? You've got a daughter yourself. Does that resonate with you? It's a difficult question. I was 18 when I came here, so I wasn't really in serious sort of affair, daily affairs, what's going on. Mm. And I've been away from there, but what I hear from there is what I see on TV and radio. I don't actually have anybody back in Iran, so I don't have personal experiences from there. Mm. But I'm glad to be here. And, yeah. you know, I've got a beautiful 12-year-old daughter who's being brought up in what we consider as normal. Yeah, well, I bet she's very, very grateful or will become grateful when she understands so. as years go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, children aren't too grateful most of the time, but I'm sure she will be. The conversation will continue. But first, Chamber Chief's quickfire questions. Hello there, and welcome to the Chamber Chief's Quickfire Questions section of the show, where I have a guest on board, we say a few words, and then it's two minutes of quickfire questions. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Sally Cope, who's Chair of Painton and District Chamber of Commerce. Come in, Sally. Hello, good to see you. Hello, Sally. Thank you so much for being a victim. I mean a guest on this uh, (laughs) show. Now, I understand you've not been Chair of the Chamber in Painton for long, have you? No, I took over as chair April 2020. So exactly, I was elected almost the day before we went into lockdown and uh, then went from there. So not the best of introductions to being a chair, is it? Well, no, it's quite a challenge. But then I think sometimes people are chair or chief executive or in charge at a time for a reason, aren't they? So you've obviously done well despite all that. And you've got a teaching background, I understand. That's right. 25 years as a primary school teacher. I got to senior management level and then gave up to support my husband who was redundant and so he went decided to go out and do a business on his own his own business and I then decided I would support him and I couldn't do both I started I went down to part-time teaching but then realized that actually it was more beneficial and better after 25 years to hang up my teacher's hat so to speak and then go and help give this a go so I understand you're an award-winning coach mentor and consultant that's right so we started a property business from then it's actually developed even more so we've got a property portfolio it's developed more to be also a coaching business so I started a property coaching and that's what I got the award for and then gone on from there to that I do business coaching as well 
and also coaching for young people who are looking to start out in their career so that they actually understand themselves so they can then see the way forward for the career or path they want to take. So as a business coach, you should know everything about business. This should be easy peasy. You're just going to absolutely <laughs> smash this out of the park. So I have some questions. I have a buzzer. There it is. You will get buzzed randomly and indiscriminately. But are you ready for this? Yeah, nothing like being on the spot, isn't it? Should we just go for it? (laughs) Okay, so your two minutes starts now. Chamber Chief's quickfire questions. Chairman, chairwoman or chair? Chair. How many members? 40. Compete or collaborate? Collaborate. What is worse, estate agent, traffic warden or tax inspector? Tax inspector. (laughs) That's a trick question because you were an estate agent, weren't you? (laughs) Exactly. I can't say that, can I? I'm sorry it's a estate agent. Everyone hates estate agents. No, no, we don't. We don't. We love you, really. Um, So, uh, how did it start? Um, It started supporting my my husband's business. Okay. What's your strap line? Too late. What's your USP? What's your USP? Make the boat go faster is my strap line. Say that again? That's our mantra between the pair of us. My strap line is helping people to help themselves. Brilliant. Favourite part of the job? Oh, helping people, talking with people. Worst Seeing part of the job? Um, well, it's, um, really Too late. Fun. You obviously love your job. A favourite quote? Comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, I like that. I'm going to have to remember that one. Uh, best advice ever given? Just keep going. Worst business mistake? Don't say appearing on this. No. <laughs> <laughs> To not actually get out of teaching earlier. Okay. If you could eradicate one thing, what would it be in the world? If I could eradicate... Oh, sorry, uh, poverty. Oh, good answer. What makes you laugh? Uh, my husband. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you cry? Oh, weepy films, anything that's really sad on the TV. Okay. Uh, wedding anniversary date? 29th of October. See, women always remember that. Uh, husband's eye colour? Uh, green. Oh, Blue. Oh, 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 terrible. You can't remember. Favourite band? Oh, the Beatles. Favourite lyric? Um, the Long and Winding Road. Oh, okay. In or outy? In. Ah, oh, great. That's it. Two minutes. That wasn't too bad, was it? Is that so, all it? <laughs> that was it. Bish, bash, bosh. We learnt a lot about you there, didn't we? Now, tell me that quote again. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Do you remember who said that? No, I don't. But it's a really good quote, isn't it? It stops you looking at others. I like it. So a similar one, one of my favourites was Soren Kierkegaard, who said, to label me is to negate me. That's really good. Mm. I like that. Anyway, look, we've learned a lot about you. Thank you for being a friend of the Chamber. Peyton Chamber and Devon Chamber are doing a lot together, so really, really appreciate that. And yeah. thank you for being a guest on the Chamber Chief's Quickfire Questions. Theodore Roosevelt, apparently. There you go. Thank you, and uh, see you again. Follow the Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce on Twitter at Chamber underscore Devon and search for us on LinkedIn. Make sure you don't miss out on future episodes. Hit subscribe now. In Conversation With, supported by Westcott's Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Now, back to the conversation. (laughs) 
And were you welcomed here, or did you experience any hostility because of your race or ethnicity? Not at the beginning, no, because at the time the Shah was there, Iran was considered as one of the wealthiest nations on the planet, and we all came here with lots of money, so we were very welcome, and we paid a lot of tuition for universities. So, no, we were very welcome. There's no problem there. And I, really, I haven't had much problems. When you run licensed places and people drink, that brings the worst out of them. So I've been referred to bloody foreigners at times, but yeah. not much. No. But didn't you have, I suppose, funny, I hope you found it funny, nickname when you were first in Plymouth? <laughs> <laughs> Did we have to mention? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I remember after theatre, I used to go to a couple of clubs, one of them called Barbrellas, which I remember some Barbrellas. of your listeners might remember. And every time I walked in there, the DJ would say, here comes Omar Sharif of Plymouth. <laughs> Omar Sharif of Plymouth. That he was helped, the he one. helped me pick up a lot of ladies, I can tell you. <laughs> did it? You dirty old boy. Yeah. <laughs> you took a while to get married, didn't you? Second time, yeah. We've been married 18 years now, but we've known each other for probably about twice as long. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure she was the right person. So. <laughs> well, I think 18 years. Is I kept her waiting for 18 years. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think you can be pretty sure. And you opened a lot of restaurants in your time. And I recall once you telling me a story that you, people said, oh, you're very lucky, but you weren't sleeping. And you said you were sort of working out one day how many toilets you'd had to clean in your life to be that lucky. I did. I'm very proud of that. And I, you know, when I was a student, I used to clean toilets and we did that for a year. And all I could afford to buy and eat was chip butty from the fish and chip shop next to the place I was cleaning. Yeah, life is not always rosy. We went through hard times, like any businessman would go. It's like a roller coaster. But you have to accept it. If you want to become a businessman, you want to have your own destiny rather than working for other people. You have to be prepared to put up with good and bad times. Yeah, and you've had your and fair had share of both, I think. We can, we'll come back to that in a minute and ask me, what took you from Disney, working for Mickey Mouse, to financial advising? I obviously met Paul while I was working in America. and Paul's then your husband? Yep, my husband, Paul Stanley. He took not as long as 18 years, did he? <laughs> he asked me in five days of knowing him, will wow. you marry me? <laughs> so he knew. <laughs> and we are married now 22 years, my soulmate. So, yeah, best friends, soulmates. You know, I can't put it into words. It's just, and we've got a son who is 12 and he's very, very ambitious. He's absolutely awesome. And obviously I did manage to bring me and Paul, actually, with his help, managed to bring Thanvi, which is my daughter, from mm. India to UK at the age of 14. And then I worked a few different jobs, to be honest, and I always knew I wanted something as a career. And then I started as a cashier in the bank, High Street Bank, worked my way up to manager's job, different roles. And then after 16 years of working, sadly, I had redundancy. So I was like, okay. But then I did my qualification, which is mortgage qualification. So again, working in financial Mm. services, that was a very strong grounding, having that. And again, having no qualifications back in India to having CMAP, I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And, you know, being qualified. And then I had another job because when you're employed in your mindset, you're always looking for employed to employed. You don't Mm. think from employed to self-employed quite easily Mm. because you like the security. So I went to another employed job and I had another redundancy that was just during COVID. And at that point, I thought, I don't want to be a number anymore. Mm. And Mm. I took a leap of faith. And during COVID, I started thinking about how I'm going to be self-employed. What are the pros? What are the cons? Imposter syndrome. I'm sure you people, everybody's heard of that. 
thinking, oh, my God, how can I do this? But then you know what? Keep going. Mm. That's one thing I've learned is keep positive, keep focusing on the positive sides rather than negatives because the energy that it creates with positive mindset supersedes yeah. the negative mindset. Well, I think imposter syndrome, which I get a little bit, is actually really healthy because it keeps you sharp. Yeah. It makes you think, oh, I've got to make sure, I've got to prove, I've got to do it, I've got to, you know. If you think you know everything, that's when it's all going to go terribly, terribly wrong. There's nothing called perfect, is there? No. Nobody is perfect. So, yeah. And then I worked in financial service. Now I do mortgages and protection. But when anyone asks me, what do you do? I always say I help people with their hopes Mm. and dreams. That means so much more to me because it's not just helping them with the house or walls and brick but the creating memories in that home and having that and to be part of that I feel really honoured yeah and it's an awesome experience I work with Straker now Straker Financial Services Mm. which is family way of doing business Mm. and you've dedicated your life to making sure people enjoy I've never seen you sit still. I've been at events that were supposed to be in your honour and you've been serving people. I mean, you just go out your way to make sure people have a good time, I just don't wanna, you, I just want to finish what Esme was saying. So you give them long-term pleasure yeah. and I give them short-term pleasure. I like because that. Because I come to my restaurant, they're there for two or three hours and I give them good time. You help them with their lives. Yeah. <laughs> but you do, don't you? You want people to enjoy every second being, of their time. Being a restaurateur, I think... Being from Iran or coming from Iran, we are very hospitable people, like the people in India are. And that really helped me a lot because I really want people to, when they come to my restaurant, they open the door, come in. So coming to my house. Yeah. And you've got to enjoy that job. It's not an easy job, but it's fun. You join into people's other enjoyment. Yeah. When they're enjoying, you enjoy too. It's like experiencing somebody's food and the experience. For me, going to a restaurant is about the experience that you want to gain. It's nice. You're involving their happy times with them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, very different if you work in a hospital. Yeah. I could never do that. That would take a very special person to do that. Well, you've run genuinely, I'm not just saying this, some of my favourite restaurants ever. I mean, I <laughs> love Lorenzo's. I loved Zucca. I really did. That was one of my favourites. Rockery Lola. I yeah. loved the yeah. Souk. Yeah. Um, but sadly... You had your own share of difficulties, didn't you? The chain itself, your chain of restaurants struggled. I kind of expanded too fast because I was very ambitious. In one time, I had seven restaurants in Plymouth and I moved to Exeter and opened four in there within two years. And then I came back to Plymouth to open more and it just got too out of hand because a lot of them were my personal touch. I had to be there for people to want to come there. Mm. So putting managers in there wasn't exactly the ideal thing to do. And then the recession came in 2008 And then soon after that, a lot of major chains opened in Plymouth. So a lot of independent restaurants got pushed aside. I fought it very hard. Mm. I fought it for about four years. Probably too long. I was a very bad businessman Mm -hmm. because I was emotionally attached to my restaurants. I couldn't... So you pumped your own money into them to keep them going. I put a lot of money there Mm. for four years. I literally sold everything I had to keep it going and to pay my staff wages. At the time, I had like 400 staff. And I didn't want to let them down. So because I thought every member of staff is a family mm-hmm. and I can't make them lose their jobs. So I financed it for four years. But then it came to a point where I had nothing left mm. and I had to let go, which was quite traumatic. Went through a depression for about two weeks because something very special happened to me. I remember the night I closed all the restaurants and I had to tell the staff because you couldn't tell them before. Mm. You know, it's a system. So I told them at the end of one Saturday night that we're closing. We're not opening tomorrow morning. 
So there's a lot of crying and upset and etc. etc. And next morning I had an event at Robin Yard and I went there at seven in the morning and up to about eleven o'clock everybody walked by. I thought that they're pointing at me and saying, Look at him, he's a failure. Really? And I went to the back of the tent and I cried. I literally cried there. And soon after that the phone rang and it was the local media saying, you know, is he the social media? Can you give us a comment? And I couldn't. Mm. And I said, no, I can't talk. And I drove home. I left my staff there and I drove home. And there was a BBC van with a camera, with the aerial on top, standing outside my house to interview me. And they saw the state of me and they just drove off. They literally mm. drove off. They realized that it's not the right time to do that. Yeah. So I had a couple of weeks of really hard time. And then there was a award ceremony at one of the hotels in Plymouth, which was organized by Plymouth Herald. I was there. You were there? Yeah. My goodness. So you remember? I remember. <laughs> I was aware you were nominated. Because uh, a number of <clears throat> years before then, I was given the Restaurant of the Year award. And that evening when I was invited, I was, oh, why are you inviting me? I've got nothing. You know, I've got no restaurants. I've got no business. And this is about business people of Plymouth. So I was invited there. And then they called me on stage. And they put some nice images of me throughout the years on the back of the stage. And they gave me a Businessman of the Year award, which was <laughs> incredible. <laughs> you know, if you were there, you remember the standing ovation. I mean, there all was a lot of warmth people. in the room. Yeah. And the only person who didn't think they were Businessman of the Year was you. But was everyone me, yeah. else <laughs> thought you definitely yeah, were. Yeah. So that, for whatever reason, absolutely changed my way of looking at future then. Mm-hmm. And I came away from that stage thinking to hell, I'm going to go for it. And this is only the start. I was very grateful for, you know, having been invited there and given that that award. So... (laughs) Thank you. And what did you do then? I started a new concept. I started a new project, which was street food. So I took street food around to Exeter and I used to travel to Brighton and Sheffield and Harrogate and Edinburgh with my street food, which was amazing. I continued with outside catering, event catering, and that grew and grew and grew. And here I am after 10 years. I like to think a very successful street food man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's very, very successful. I've seen photos of queues at festivals for your food. Yeah. And two, three hundred yard queues just to have your food. Mad people, mad people. No, they're not. Your food is... I can't wait to try it now. (laughs) Yeah, you always, always run great food establishments. Thank you. Selfishly, I'd like you to run another restaurant or two, but I wouldn't expect you to do that now (laughs) because maybe you've done with that. And ask me, you've had setbacks even in your personal life, even over here, haven't you, with your daughter? My daughter, she came at the age of 14, so I hadn't been there from the age of 3 to 14. So I wasn't there to help her understand the core values of upbringing. When you say core value would be trust, respect, confidence. And I think the family bringing up together with the parents, that helps them. And I think they call it, I'm not quite sure what the words are, but I remember one of the ladies that I was talking to and they said, because they are separated from the very young age, it causes them not to trust anybody. Mm. And they grow up in a very different way. And when she did come here at the age of 14, she was a handful. I would say, looking back, when she was here, I thought she was being just a spoiled brat. But now she has got severe mental health. We are building relationship. It's on and off, on and off. But yeah, and that's not the life me and Paul wanted to give her. We wanted to make her feel home in western world but she's taken to pretty much anything and everything that we would say that's not right Mm. and it came to a head didn't it with your daughter yeah sadly when she was 16 she was 
drugs, drinks, boys, girls, you can name it. It was going on and I just could not cope. Me, Paul, and well, I had Ethan then, who was only 18 months. And I said, you think this is bad enough? Okay, carry on and live your life. And tough love is what they call it, don't they? Mm. So I had to let go of her. Then I've taken For her. For the second time? Yeah, I've taken her so many times in mm. and had to let go in and let go. And I just found it really emotionally draining. She's nearly 29 now. I can show her the way, mm. but she has to want to walk it. Mm. And I find it very hard because obviously the life that I've seen back in India is complete different world. Here, you got so much support, so much help. You just got to ask. Mm. Mental health support. There is drinks support for if someone's want to quit drinking, smoking, mm. drugs, all these things. They are massively available for any age group, let alone who is 28. Mm. She won. I don't know. I don't even know what her future holds, but she wants to change it. She can. Didn't her mental health come to her head, though, didn't she? She tried committing suicide a few times. That was emotional for us because obviously you don't want to see your kids to bring from childhood to here then to say you're going to lose them. So I'm on the edge always thinking if there's a phone rings and I'm like, oh my God, what's that going to be? So she's still struggling now. Yeah. And I just don't know how to help her. I really don't. If I can bubble wrap her, I would. You can't, can you? I can, because even if I try to protect her, she will retaliate. I guess she doesn't like the fact that I left her when she was three. I don't Mm. know. But she was brought up in a narcissist environment where I was the bad person. Mm. But I have hope. I strongly believe in hope, deep down, that something has to change, somewhere something will change, and she Mm. will be the person looking at life as a blessing rather than as a curse. Mm. If that makes sense? Mm. Definitely. But I can make her see that because I have seen it and I mm. think life is a blessing. What we make is what we get. But for her to see it, I don't know. Well, time is the best judge. You have nothing to forgive, but have you forgiven <coughs> yourself for getting out when she was three, for leaving her behind? You didn't have any choice, did you? No. I blame myself for a long, long, long time. From an emotional point, I think I came to UK and when I met Paul and I used to struggle to the point I used to cry and... Paul couldn't leave me in the house on my own. Yeah, I've kind of realised that I can't do any more. I can only love her for who she is, and I always will, no matter what. But I can get frustrated with myself, because if I was there, I would have probably not survived anyway. No. So I had had to. to. The choices I have made, I had to do it. I can unchange them. Well, you've got an incredible outlook on life. I was lucky enough to be on the judging panel for the BAME Awards, and I saw your story, and I saw someone said of you, they nominated you for an award, and they said, her outlook on life is a gift to everyone who meets her. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? I don't think anyone said anything as nice about that to me. And Evan, despite your knockbacks, things are doing all right now? You've got a lovely family yourself? I've got a beautiful family. I've got a 16-year-old son who's very serious about becoming a lawyer. He's a very serious boy. He's, He's always been boy. driven. He raised a fortune for St. Luke's he, a few years ago. Yeah, he was, when he was nine and a half. He's 16 now. When he was nine and a half, he raised £10,000 wow. for St. Luke's on Absolutely his own. Absolutely amazing. He's just about to do a fundraising for Mind mm-hmm. because he lost his friend to suicide a couple of years ago, his best yeah, friend. I'm sorry. So he's very affected with that. And he's going to jump plane and hope to raise £25,000 for Mind. 
Wow, that's some ambition. I'll be coming to you, Stuart. Uh, yeah. uh, well, you can make 24,999 left to raise then. I, can, I might even stretch to a fiver. Well, he's a lovely lad. I've known him since he was a young lad. Yeah, yeah I remember the suit, the check suit. Yeah. He was selling squares on his suit for sponsorship. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, and Edmund, you've always been incredibly generous. Edmund wouldn't say, but he's lent me his car twice, actually. <laughs> I was driving an old banger when I took a lady away for the weekend. Not only did he lend me his car to take her away in, he had an Audi Quattro TT convertible at the time but also when I got to the hotel room there was a bottle of champagne from Edmund I've always been so privileged to have you as a friend so thank you you've always been a very good friend and Asmi, I hope we'll become good friends. You have an incredible, inspiring story that has unfortunately now made me cry three times, um, which is very embarrassing. <laughs> but no, it's a heck of a story. What would you like to leave people thinking about with your story? I would always say, you know, the journey that comes from the past to the present is about determination, self-belief, keeping positive mindset and continue that path and follow your dreams and follow your heart because... I strongly believe in that because if you know you want to achieve something, don't get knocked down by anything. You will get knocked down. And I always go back to saying bounce like a tigger Mm. because you have to reach up. And the more you learn from your experiences, the more you become stronger mentally and emotionally to be able to cope more. So keep going. Quitting is not an option. It hasn't been an option for you either, has it? Very good. Very good. As me, Edmund, been an absolute privilege to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I think people are going to love to hear about your stories. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. In Conversation With is supported by Westcott's Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors, supporting Southwest individuals and businesses for over 30 years. Westcott's, we're here. Produced by Fresh Air Studios, full audio production services for business podcasts and corporate communications. Visit freshairstudios.com. Presented by Stuart Elford. Produced and engineered by Paul Philpot. Edited and mixed by Martin Burgess Moon. Production support by Lisa Hartwell. Video content by Mark Stevenson. Copyright Devon and Plymouth Chamber of Commerce and Fresh Air Studios Limited. All rights reserved. Thank you.